you're gonna talk about dog meat, you need a good whiteboard. Now, here's the other thing I should mention to you. This is somewhat of a personal rule I had to develop for myself. I think for the betterment and the enjoyment of everyone that I preach to on a regular basis. And now that I'm back in congregational ministry, the rule is now back in effect. Four times per year, I will limit myself to talking about football four times per year during sermons. It's quarterly. It's well-paced. For those of you that really do not like football, that way you know you only have to suffer through it four times a year. The flip side, maybe the bad side of that, is my year starts on Advent 1. So I have six months where I get to talk about football four times. But I think that teaching the game of football, which I do as a, as a middle school football coach, understanding something that works in sort of a systematic fashion and how we receive and take in that information, I think it has something to say about what we know and learn and maybe how we use or don't use our knowledge about the Holy Trinity. Now, this might be a stretch, but just hang with me for a second. I want to diagram a play really quick. So I coach offense, so the good guys get O's. So there's my center. Oh, that's why I always bring two markers. He's got a guy beside him. These are the offensive linemen. Guards on each side. There's a tackle on each side of them. We'll draw this play going to the right. So there's going to be a tight end. He can go out for a pass if he wants. We're going to have a wingback, a quarterback, a fullback, and a halfback. I'm not giving you any secrets. This is part of the offense that we run over at Morgantown. But we'll set up the defense pretty standard. Four defensive linemen, two tackles, two ends on the outside. And let's just draw up a 44, four down linemen, four linebackers. All right. Now, the play we're going to run, if I were to describe it to my offensive lineman, is called 132 power. And typically, and I was an offensive lineman, people think offensive linemen aren't that bright. It's not true. What happens is, it's not true, by the way, but what happens is when you're an offensive lineman and you're learning the game, sort of like any system, you tend to focus in on what it is that you do. And you comprehend and you master what you do in order that you can go do it out on the field. And sometimes you don't always pay attention to everything else going on. So if we're running this play to the right, well, we have a double team here between this tackle and this guard. They're going to go to the back side backer. My tackle on this side and center are going to double team here. My tight end's going to head straight up for this linebacker. My wing back's going to kind of go out to this linebacker out here and try to head him off. The fullback is going to isolate block on this defensive end. My quarterback's going to come like this. Here he's going to hand off the ball to the halfback who's going to run up right there 20, 30 yards every time, promise. At least that's what I tell them they'll get if they block it right. But you see, the thing is for the offensive lineman, and I did this too, especially when I was kind of middle school aged, I had a whole notebook that I had written up, and I typically played guard and tackle, and my diagram wouldn't even include what's going on back here. I would just show what I had to do on each play so that when the play was called in the huddle, I hear 132 power, I'd say, okay, I'm going to double team the defensive tackle to the backside backer. But, you know, the other night, the other night when I was out there with the boys, I had these five up front do something that at least they're not used to yet or they thought was a little odd. When I was talking about the play, I said, I need you to turn around and see what's going on back here. I want you to know what the fullback does. I want you to know what the quarterback does. And I want you to know what the running back does. And I asked them, why do you think that is? And they kind of gave me a very 
what you might consider typical schoolboy answer so that we know it. Okay, that's, that's good. It's good to know things, but oftentimes I think the way that we've done education, both secularly in our schools and in the church, has sort of been to info dump on people. Do you know it? Can you tell me that A equals 1 and B equals 2? And if you can tell me that, that's, that's good enough. If you can tell me, okay, that you block this guy here and he goes there, and you kind of know something about the running back, and you just know it for the sake of knowing it, good, then you know it. I have these five or six really up front turn around because I wanted them to understand that what happens here, a full understanding of everything that's going on during a play has an impact and effect on what they're going to be doing up here. Even though their backs are turned to the people handling the football, it's going to change what they do. And believe it or not, I kind of had to draw this out of them to get to this conclusion because they weren't quite picking up on it right away. What does it really matter? Do I need to know as the right offensive guard where the running back's going? I suppose not entirely. You could go up to the line of scrimmage and you could block your play successfully and have no idea what these three in the backfield are doing. But, but if you're this guy here and you know what the play is and you know who's going to have the football, that not only tells you who you have to block, that tells you how these individuals on the defensive side are going to react. You see, if you have a comprehensive understanding of what's going on in a system, especially one that's going to cause a reaction by others, it tells you something. It gives you inside knowledge and insight about what you can expect. Because if I'm blocking and the ball's going that way, the person I'm blocking, I know, I know this. He's going to start going that way too. And I can cheat a little bit and I can slide a little bit and I can anticipate and expect because I have a better understanding of what I'm looking for and what's going to happen. Now, football isn't the only place where we use diagrams, hence the whiteboard. We have one in the church made up especially for the Trinity. I think it's cool. But then again, not everyone likes dogma as much as I do. So in the center, we have God, and then we have Father, and we have Son, and we have Holy Spirit. And then they all have lines that connect in all three of these. And over top of them, they say is. It looks much prettier in the Latin. And then they all have lines that connect Father to Holy Spirit, Father to Son, Holy Spirit to Son, Holy Spirit to Father, and Son to each of them. And they say isn't. Like I said, it's prettier in the Latin. Most Trinity Sundays, along with seeing some sort of diagram or figure, maybe three interconnected circles, or maybe this description here that lays it out with a little bit more verbiage to it. Oftentimes, Lutheran congregations will go and they will recite the Athanasian Creed found on page 54 of the Green Book. We won't do that this Trinity Sunday because it's my first Trinity Sunday here as pastor and I still like you all. But I would recommend that you look at it. But not only for the basic knowledge that you can draw from it. It's good to know that the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father and the Holy Spirit is neither of them, but that they are three and one and one and three. 
and everything else that we find here, that they are co-equal and co-eternal, that neither one nor the other nor any of the three are begotten nor made, but that they all are consubstantial with each other, and all these wonderful words that we could put into some sort of diagram or that you can find here in the Athanasian Creed. But what is the so what? Why have Holy Trinity? Why have a Sunday that we devote exclusively to a dogma just to know it? I think that might be the lesser reason. If you know the Holy Trinity inside and out, even though it is mysterious, that's wonderful. If you can recite the Athanasian Creed or the parts of the Nicene Creed relating to the Trinity without anything in front of you, a piece of paper, that's great. But what does it mean? Because I don't think God is looking for us to have knowledge alone on this subject just so that we can recite it and say it. Yes, this is this. Yes, this is that. Why? Why does Trinity matter to us? Why did we make a big deal of it in the church? Why was it so important to lay out and define that God is all three of these expressions and persons and that none of these are one with the other? That there is this mysterious thing that is three in one and one in three. Why does it matter to know God? Because exactly like a blocker knowing where the ball is going, it lets us know what we can expect from God and what kind of God we speak of and pray to and interact with and believe in. And that will have profound impacts on our relationship with God. Because for the bulk of human history, there was no God conceived of that was the God of the Trinity. There was just kind of God, maybe in the person that we think of as God the Father. God was so big and God was so grand and God was the God of all the cosmos, of all of heaven and earth. And God was foreign in some ways to God's very creation. How is it that we, the created, those that need to be redeemed, people, flesh and blood, could ever step before the God of everything? And experience anything except humility, littleness, and maybe some wonder. And that is a part of God. But the Son is also a part of God. And to know that tells us that God is not only and exclusively the God that is the creator of all of heaven and earth, that is wide over everything, that is cosmic and unimaginable in scope, that God is also known to us in flesh and blood. That God's concern for creation isn't just as a creator that sets something in motion and walks away. No, that God is with us in person, in life, and in love. To know that is not just to know something, to know that to change the dynamic about how we interact with the one God that is God of all. And that God is not just trapped at the beginning or at a moment or anything, that God continues, that God is present here and now. That God is present in our lives and presence ever since your baptism. That God is continuing to blow and move through you and the whole church on earth. That God remains active. That God is past, present, and future all rolled up into one. The tribe.
triune God is so much more than any God that seemingly has ever been conceived of before, that the God we believe in is everything. Everything for us and everything for the world, everything for God's church, and understood in a way that can be hard to comprehend, but understood in a way that is not merely dead knowledge on a page. To understand Trinity, to confess Trinity, to believe in Trinity and the triune God is to believe in a all-powerful, all-loving, all-active, all-everything God that is a part of every living, breathing, waking thing that we are and do and will stay that way always. And so I like Holy Trinity Sunday. I think it's a chance for us to maybe turn around and not just think about one thing or the next and not just think about knowledge being for the sake of knowledge, but to understand that this means something for us. This thing that we say over and over again on Sunday mornings and in our prayers and hardly give a thought to, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God, God as three in one, is a magnificent idea. And our expectation of what that means for us can be changed and shaped and molded by something like this. So today we celebrate Trinity, we honor Trinity, we understand Trinity, and we come to expect and know a little bit more about our lives of faith this day and the next. Amen.